So um, I want to talk to you this morning uh, about the idea of Jesus being the focal point or the center of our lives. Uh, for those of you who have been here over the past several weeks, our pastor, uh, Pastor Mark, did uh, a message series called Jesus is Not the Reason for the Season. And one of his uh, arguments of why Jesus is not the reason for the season is because Jesus did not come to be the reason for two months. His life was not marked by us coming together for the Christmas season, the day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday, until uh, maybe as long as New Year's. And uh, for many of you, you you're already done with it. He did not come just to be Jesus uh, for a few days or a few weeks. Jesus came so that he could be the center of our lives. And so as we kind of move forward into next year, I just want to kind of reach back to the idea uh, that Jesus Christ did not just come to be a baby and to get older and to grow a beard and have a ministry Uh, on earth and heal lots of people and go all the way to a cross to die for me and you so that he could be the God of our lives for three or four weeks, um, maybe a month during the Christmas season. He came so that he could be a part of our lives every single day so that he could be the focal point or the center of our lives. How many of you in the room, you would consider yourself at least maybe an okay interior decorator? Um, any wives in the room? And so I'm, I'm the youth pastor at Zine and As, if you didn't know. And so I require audience participation. All right? So when I ask some questions, you raise your hand or just shout out loud to me. Um, and it helps me know that you're awake, for one. Uh, and two, that it lets me know that you're um, alive. So if I say something that, you know, you might agree with, kind of, sort of, half-heartedly, Feel free to just throw out an amen or, you know, you preach it, youth pastor, young guy up there. You know, whatever you want to say, I just need to know that you're here, you're engaged, you're in the room, you're alive, you're into this. And um, if you're not, uh, then you're going to miss out. So, how many of you would consider yourself to be an okay, at least at minimum, interior decorator of your home? Okay, okay. So, when we... Talk about interior design, interior decorating. Um, Every room has one thing in common. No matter which room this is in your home, every room has one thing in common. Um, In your bedroom, the one thing that all bedrooms have in common is you will always find a what? Okay, awesome. You guys are great. So much smarter than the teenagers I speak to. Um, They would have been like, "Uh, I don't know, there's carpet. I'm just kidding, guys. I'm sorry. Uh, I love you. I promise. Um, so when you, uh, when you go into most American homes today, uh, you might find that when you walk in, there's one particular room that pretty much every house has, and, um, you go there and it's electronic. Sometimes it's hanging above a fireplace. Uh, sometimes, uh, you purchase an expensive piece of furniture to hold this item on top of it or to frame it in. Anybody know what that is? Okay, a TV. So uh, many American homes would have uh, a television, and so that is the focal point of that room. And so the first thing you do when you walk into that room, you buy a new house, you're, you're good to go, you're getting set up, and you walk into the empty room and you say, where are we going to put the TV? And so you decide the TV would look really great right here on this wall. And so then you purchase your furniture and you design, uh, you design that room in such a way that each piece of furniture is facing that focal point. You may have a dining room 
um, or a sitting room in which you only use twice a year and you're not allowed to sit on the couch. And you might have a piece of art in that room that would be considered the focal point. But you design an interior design. You design and arrange and sometimes even purchase things. You go out of your way to design and arrange things around that focal point. So what does it look like for us to design and arrange our lives around the focal point of Jesus Christ? What does it look like to not just make him the center of attention um, for a few weeks here during the Christmas season, but to make him the center of our lives every single day? And so if I were to ask you, what is, what is the most important thing in your life? Uh, many of you would start out with this answer. You would say, Jesus, he's, he's number one. He's at the very top of my list. Uh, some of you would say, well, after Jesus, I'm going to have to put my family there. Well, after family, uh, let's see here, maybe, maybe, my, uh, maybe my job or my career. And from there, you might go on to continue to list several more things, maybe friendships, uh, maybe um, an athletic activity. Maybe some of you are um, UK Wildcat fans um, who kicked the behind of a certain other team that's also located in Kentucky yesterday. Um, and so maybe that may be on your list of most important things in life. But the problem with this, and, and I'm not suggesting that Jesus should not be the most important thing in your life, but the problem sometimes when we begin to make a list like this is to say, well, Jesus is most important, and then my family, and then my career, and so practically, how does that work out? Well, if, if Jesus, if Jesus or, or God is the most important thing, he's more important than my family, then does that mean that instead of taking my kids to King's Island, I'm just going to go to the church and make sure that I have a key to get in and I'm going to go pray all day instead? Well, if Jesus is more important, then that's, I don't need to be wasting time riding roller coasters. I need to be praying, right? If my family is more important than my job, then, then man, if I didn't have to go to work every day, I could spend a whole bunch of time with my family. So the idea of putting um, Jesus in one category and then putting my family in another category and then putting my job in another category, it kind of leaves us at a little bit of a loss when it comes to practically living out our daily lives. And so, again, I'm not saying that Jesus is, is not um, first in the order of importance in our lives, but when we work this out practically, what does that look like? I'm not sure. And so I want to uh, just kind of pose to you or suggest a, a different idea, a different way of looking at this.
rather than putting Jesus ahead of your family, Jesus and then my family, or Jesus and then my career, or my job, or school, what would it look like for Jesus to be in your family, in your job, in your school, your career, in your relationships, Jesus in my interactions with other people. So it's not Jesus then, it's not God then, it's God in. Jesus wants to be a part of every aspect of your life. And beyond just being a part, he wants to be the very focal point. He wants to be the center. Your family, just like the TV in your TV room, your family structure, your family culture, the way you interact with your family, the way you teach your family, the way you provide for your family, the way you lead your family, is all centered around Jesus in your family. And so I want to read to you um, from Colossians. And Colossians is um, the most Christ-centered book of the Bible. And it says, He is before, speaking of Jesus, speaking of, of God, of Jesus, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus did not shed his blood on the cross so that we could have a little display here on a Sunday morning. He did not shed his blood on a cross and come here and die so that you could sit in a pew on Sunday morning and kind of half-heartedly sing a song and that you're, you know, you're not sure of, or the, the words aren't even on the screen, which is what happened to us to this morning for a little bit. Um, he did not come here so that we could just call ourselves Christians and do the church thing and leave and go home. See, in, in America, in our culture, it is easy to say that we're a Christian. It's very easy to give ourselves the title of Christian. And, and so the, the number one answer that you would get if you were to ask somebody, are you a Christian? If they would say yes, and you were to ask why, um, the number one reason that they would give you as to why they're a Christian is, well, I go to church. I go to church, so I'm a Christian. The number two answer is because I said so, because I call myself a Christian. Number three, you, you may get, well, I, I, I try to do the right thing. I do good things. I believe in God. But the Christian, the American Christian versus the one who lives Christ-centered. The Christian is one who believes in God, but they live life as if he doesn't exist. We wake up each day. We have a knowledge. There's a higher power. We believe that that higher power is God. I, I believe what the Bible says. I enjoy going to church and singing the songs and listening to the sermons. But in every other area of my life, in every other box of my life, I call this box family, I call this box my relationships, I call this one my career, my job, we act as if he doesn't exist. 
So the mere Christian, yes, I'm a Christian. I go to church. I believe in God. We believe in him, but we act as if he doesn't exist. Jesus came so that in him, he could have all supremacy. And so I want you to know that this little baby here, this little eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus, he wants it all. He's selfish. He wants everything in your life. He wants to be all up in your business. That's why he came. That's why he's here. So we have a choice to make. This year, what will we do? We know he came. We know we have this, this uh, cute little scene here. We know that we sing the Christmas songs and joy to the world, and we light some candles that we don't really understand what they mean, maybe. We have all of this stuff, but we have a decision to make. Will we be Christians? Will we be just a mere Christian in name only? Will we believe in God but live as if he doesn't exist? Or will we make Jesus the focal point and the center of our life? Because we've all seen uh, scenarios or examples of what making Jesus the center of your life doesn't look like. And so let's, let's just put something in here for fun. Um, what would it look like maybe for a person to put their job first? What it looked like for me uh, not too long ago, just a little more than a year ago, it looked like me working um, for a company running an office in Dayton, and the owner of our company was in uh, California, and so their office was three hours behind. And so what that meant for me is I would get to our office, um, you know, 8 o'clock or so, 7.30, 8 o'clock, and uh, I would work and, um, you know, manage our office and do the thing there and have meetings throughout the day, all of that kind of stuff. But then there was like an extra three hours tacked on to my schedule every day because at any moment I could get an email or a phone call or a text from someone in California. And so what would happen is I would end up working um, all day and then I would go home and then I'm still working. And by the end of the day, uh, I have no energy to play with my kids in the floor. I have no interest in listening to anything about my wife's day. And for those uh, men in the room, you know that, you know, at some point you kind of run out of words for the day, right? And so then, you know, your wife is talking to you and you're wishing, honestly, you know, like, I don't really want to be talking right now. I don't want to be listening right now. And so you just have nothing to say. And then it's like, well, what's wrong with you? Well, nothing's wrong. I'm just out of words. I don't have anything else to say today. I don't have anything left. So that's one example maybe of how this plays out where your job, you're just, you're trying to climb the corporate ladder. You're trying to pursue the American dream, but it's coming at the sacrifice of your family because you've given your best. You've given the best of your relational energy, um, your strength, your, uh, your intellect. You've given all of that solely to your job. And so when this is the center, your family may suffer. When you're so busy that you're, you're, you're trying to exceed and you're trying to maybe excel in your job that you have no time to um, volunteer for that organization that helps homeless people. You really kind of have a heart, you know, you really, your heart goes out to those people who don't have homes, but I wish I could volunteer, but I just can't. I'm just, I'm just too busy. I'd really like to volunteer in the kids ministry or the youth ministry at church, but I just, I just have too much going on. I'm just, I'm just trying to do my thing here. I got to do this. We have 
no time for personal ministry to minister to other people. We have nothing left to give. We've all seen that scenario play out. Kids grow up. My dad was there. We had the greatest clothes. We got to play all the sports we wanted to. We got everything we wanted. I got an iPad when I was two, and I learned how to use it very well by the age of three. Everything was all great, but I don't really know my dad. I just know that he goes to work. Let's put family in here. I know I have beautiful handwriting. Thank you. Um, family, that's a great thing. That is, that's a great focus. And there is nothing in this world that I love more than my wife and my two kids, my two-year-old and my one-year-old that just turned one two days ago. And we have a third one on the way, for those of you who don't know. Um, yeah, we're crazy. I know. So um, your family is a great thing. But what can happen is when our family becomes the center and family becomes the focal point, um, we, we make sure that, you know, our, our kid is the, he's the, the four and under, um, underwater polo champion of the world, um, you know, in the age group four and under, you know, or whatever. And so, you know, we make sure that they can play in all the sports and they're on the traveling team. And um, they're the best on their team. They have all the greatest stuff. And we're going to get them from point A to point B. And every night of the week, they're going to be involved in some kind of sport because we put our family first, and that's what we're doing. And that's a great thing. Maybe your uh, goal for your family is, um, or, or your kids maybe, is that they excel in their education. And, and they're the smartest kid in their class. Maybe your goal, you have a kid that's not so smart, and your goal is that they can beat up the kid who's top of their class, you know. So we have these, fam- these, these family goals, and we center our life around our family, um, but the whole time we're leaving out their spiritual walk. We get them to all the right places at all the right times. They're excelling in all the right areas, but we don't pray with them. We protect them and make sure that they're eating all the... Uh, 100% natural, uh, the organic fed uh, animals when we eat our dinner. Like, we, we make sure that they have all the right stuff in their bodies. They're all the right circumstances. We put their helmet on them before they go to bed because they might get hurt. Anybody remember, like, you know, the seat belts that used to be this right here? This was your seat belt. You know, mom throwing her arm out in front of you. And so uh, we have all these ways that we protect our kids now. But... We don't really pay attention to what they're listening to on their iPods. We don't really pay attention to what they're watching. We don't really observe who they're hanging out with. You want to go to whose house and stay the night? Who wants to take you on a date? I got to be a part of a really cool thing uh, last week where um, a father took his 15-year-old daughter down right here, and he got down on his knee, and he said... I want to give you this early Christmas gift. This is a promise ring. This is me as your dad making a promise to you that no matter what you go through, I am always going to be here for you. I want to listen to you. I want to give you advice. I'm going to love you no matter what. 
and you're making a promise to me that you won't settle for anything less when some guy comes knocking on your door than what I've given you as a father. And I watched this young girl just cry and cry and cry and cry. It's pretty cool. When we're able to put Jesus at the center of our family, not our family at the center of our lives, but Jesus the center of our lives. So what does that look like, Nate? What does it look like for Jesus to be the center of my life? I just have a few thoughts on that, and, um, and this is for me, and, and there, this is not like an inclusive list, but for me, I think people who live Christ-centered lives live with a daily appetite for the things of God. Several years ago, um, my wife and I were trying to um, eat more healthy and, you know, put good things into our bodies, and she worked out all the time. Um, I did not. Um, but we were trying to eat healthy nonetheless, and so one of the things that we did uh, was we cut out uh, fast food. And so there have been several times since then that we've eaten fast food, but as a general rule, it's a very rare thing that we eat fast food. But let me tell you, when we eat fast food now, we are sick, like, instantly. And it's amazing what your body gets used to as you crave fast food and as you um, eat the grease-filled hamburger and the French fries that taste so awesome from McDonald's, but it only lasts for a few minutes because then I'm sick um, but anyway, uh, we, we put these things into our body and we just get used to it. We get used to those things that we crave and we crave that fast food and then so we eat that fast food. And I did not realize until I started to have an appetite for things that were better, until I started to have an appetite for like more fruits and veggies and um, things that weren't deep fried and things that weren't processed and all of that kind of stuff, I realized that what happened as I craved those things and I began to feed on the things that were healthy, my body began to reject the things that were not healthy. So when I ate the fast food, my body was rejecting it. My body rejects it the same way when I drink pop because I pretty much only drink water other than coffee. I'm a little bit of a coffee fanatic. Um, but I drink water and coffee. And sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll just, you know, splurge or whatever and have a Coke or whatever. And I just feel sick. Because my body is rejecting the thing that is not good for me. And as we begin to focus our lives on Christ, we have a healthy daily appetite for the things of God. And as we continue to feed on the things of God and the things that he wants for us, our bodies, um, our spirits, our spiritual man will begin to reject the things that are not good for us. The psalm writer said it like this, God, you are my God. And I earnestly seek after you. God, you are my God. Not my family. I don't crave. 
I don't have a desire and appetite to please other people all the time. I don't just crave to climb the corporate ladder and make as much money as I can and drive the best car I can and live in the biggest house that I can. I don't just crave those things, but God, I have a deep yearning, a deep desire, a deep appetite for you because God, you, you are my God. The Christ-centered life is a life that has a daily appetite for God. A daily appetite for the things of God, what he desires. And so I would ask you, just think in your life, what do you desire? What do you desire the most? What's on your mind when you wake up? What do you live for? What do you spend your time and energy on? What do you crave? What do you desire? In the last seven days, what would your life have been marked by? Can you see Jesus in those things? Or is it just the Jesus box over here? Yeah, I made time for church, but everything else, everything else is over here. I got, I got my Jesus box, but here's my family box. Here's my career box. Here's my, my goals. In the last seven days, can you see Jesus in your life? Can you see him in your relationships? Have you craved after him the things that he wants? Number two, uh, things that our lives will be marked by when they're Christ-centered is we live uncommon lives. For those of you who don't know, um, we call our student ministry here as in as Uncommon Youth Church. And Uncommon was a name that was given um, by the youth pastor before me, but I really wanted to keep it because I thought, you know what, that's what I want our students to be marked by. That's what I want my life to be marked by is the idea that I am uncommon. I may not always fit in, but normal doesn't work. Because normal, for example, in a marriage is divorce. Normal is we live in the same house, but we really don't like each other very much. Normal is just getting by. Normal in our finances is broke, in debt, wasteful. We don't save anything. We can't invest anything. We don't give to other people. We can't give to those in need. That's normal. I don't want to be normal. But people who live Christ-centered lives are anything but normal. For some reason, we have peace when all the world is falling apart. When things in our lives are happening that we don't understand, we're going through hurt, we're, we get the diagnosis, we lose the family member, we lose our job, our, our, our finances are in shambles, we don't know what to do. For some reason, we are just uncommon enough because Christ is our center, He is our core, He is our focus, that we keep our eyes on Him, and we just have peace in the middle of that circumstance, or that trial, or that thing we're going through. We are uncommon. We look different when we live Christ-centered lives, when we focus on Him. Those who live a Christ-centered life live in constant communication with God. How many of you uh, have a cell phone in the room? This, we're back to this interactive part here, okay? How many of you have a cell phone, right? So, cell phone allows us to be in constant communication 
throughout the day with the people that we love and we're close to. And so this morning, I've already received several texts. Uh, our worship pastor here, Brandon Hancock, who's out of town, he said, how'd it go after the first service? Um, praying for you all this morning. And I shot him a quick text back. Uh, pastor Mark uh, sent me a text this morning, and it says, I uh, hope you have your gospel guns loaded. So that was his way of encouraging me to preach good. Uh, my dad sent me a text this morning, and it says, uh, praying for you this morning. Um, I just received one. Thank you, Luke. It says, love you. Hey, I appreciate that. That's cool. You don't love me. Don't say that. Okay, I'm going to put this away just so you all know, because I know I just got three more buzzes here. Cell phones allow us to be in constant communication, so I think sometimes when you hear a preacher or a pastor say, uh, pray, communicate with God, spend time with God, and, and even if we were to ask, you know, what does it look like for you to have Jesus number one, you might get the answer, well, it means that you get up, and the first thing in the morning, you get down on your knees, and you pray, and you read the Bible, and that's awesome, and that's great, and if God leads you to do that, if that's how you choose to grow closer to Him, wake up in the morning and do it. But I'm kind of one of those ADD kind of prayers, and I don't know if you know what I'm talking about or not, but sometimes, you know, I'll just sit down to pray, and I think, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray right now. I'm going to spend some time with God, and God, thank you for this day, for, you know, you've given me my daily bread. Oh, bread, we need bread. I should go to the grocery store. I got to get bread, you know? And so, you know, you just start, you go down that trail, and, you know, I'm, I have very rarely, and there have been sometimes on occasion, you know, that I've prayed for 30, 45 an hour maybe at, at a time or whatever, but most of the time, it's short bursts of communication with my Father, and so it begins to make sense when you um, read in the Bible where it says to pray without ceasing. Never-ending prayer, it's an attitude, it's a spirit, it's short bursts of communication with God all throughout the day, just like shooting a quick text. God, help me in this meeting. Help me with this presentation. Driving home from work, God, help me to have some quality time with my kids when I go in here. God, help me with this, this decision that we need to make. Lord, help me to know how to love my wife better. Uh, we're about to go on this date. Help me to show her love. Help me to be romantic with her. Help her to know how much I love her. Lord, help me as I'm walking into church. I want to receive something from you that I can grow closer to you and, and grow in my walk with you. I, I met with a, a, a person several months ago, and I was driving to meet them for lunch. I didn't really know where they were uh, in their relationship with Christ, and so I was just kind of praying on the way and just talking to God and said, hey, God, I don't just do whatever you want to do in this uh, lunch, and so we began having conversation, and uh, it kind of led to me talking about my relationship with God, and we got to a point in the conversation, and I said, what about you? Do you have a personal relationship with God? Because I wanted my life to be Christ-centered, and so I was in this constant communication with God, and uh, I asked that question, and he began to cry. Been raised in church his whole life, Christian family, Christian home, and he said, I, I don't know if I have that personal relationship with Jesus or not, right there at the lunch table. But you can be in constant communication with God. It doesn't have to be sitting down and kneeling and praying for hours on end, but short bursts of communication with God. Those who live Christ-centered lives also live with a constant awareness of God, a constant awareness of what He wants to do. The Bible says to 
Uh, acknowledge God in Proverbs. Acknowledge God in all of your ways. Acknowledge Him. Acknowledge what He wants to do. Acknowledge how He might want to work in a conversation that you're having at a lunch table. Acknowledge how He wants to work when you're in the middle of family turmoil. Acknowledge how He wants to be your peace in the time of trouble. Acknowledge Him in all your ways and He will direct your path. When your focus is clear, when you have a constant awareness for God, when your focus is clear and He is the center of your life, your path will be clear. You will know what to do. Everything else makes sense when our lives are designed around Him. A constant awareness of God. There's a high school student, she's 15, who recently um, began a relationship with Christ. She comes on Sunday nights to Uncommon Youth Church, and she's started a relationship with Jesus. And so she's asking a lot of questions, a lot of questions right now. So Mindy and I will get texts or phone calls several times a week um, asking, uh, for many of you, it would be very just trivial, basic things. Um, But she asked this question last week, and it said, Um, does God hear my thoughts? Can God hear my thoughts? And so we called her and said, what are you talking about? You know, can he hear your thoughts? And she said, well, I was driving to Columbus with my family to visit them for Christmas, and I was just sitting here talking to God in my head. And so then I started thinking, well, I'm not saying this out loud. I wonder if God can even hear me. I'm just wasting my time talking to God this whole time in the back of the car. And so we said, Neil, of course God can hear your thoughts. And um, we call that prayer. And we put, you know, we put the religious language on it and all of that, and it's prayer. But she was just talking to God. She was just acknowledging God right there in the car ride on the way to Columbus. Brand new Christian. Brand new student. Doesn't know anything. Doesn't even know if God can hear her when she's praying in her head. But that's what our lives can be like. To acknowledge God. To be constantly aware of Him. So I don't know this morning where you find yourself. You could have come in this room and you know nothing about God. You know nothing about Jesus. Someone dragged you along because you're still in town after the holidays. Maybe you just came, maybe you've come several times, but you have never committed your life to Christ. You've never told him that you wanted him to be the center, but you know, you know that the way that you're doing it on your own is getting you nowhere fast. You go to bed at night and there's still that void in your heart. There's still something missing. For others of you, you could be like the guy that I had lunch with who You've been in church for a long time. You've attended Xenia Nazarene for a long time. You know all the Nazarene ways. You've been raised in it. You can recite Bible verses. You could teach a Bible class. But you know that you're probably just a Christian in name only. You you believe in God. You believe He's there, but you live life as if He doesn't exist. He's not the focal point of your life. What does that look like for me? For me, if if I were to say, you know what, my life 
is not really Christ-centered right now. That might look like for me that I, I wouldn't have any personal daily disciplines in my spiritual walk. Meaning I, I don't pray. I don't read my Bible. I don't make church a priority. I don't involve God in my family and pray with my kids or pray with my spouse. It might look like that for me. It might look like I make decisions and try to talk through things and try to figure things out aside from acknowledging what God wants to do, that he may want to help me in that decision, consulting God what he wants in my life. God, what do you want me to want? If I found myself going through life just making those decisions and and taking steps and having interactions and building relationships and building my career and didn't take time to stop and acknowledge how God wants to work in those, then I might know that I'm someone who's living a life that is not Christ-centered. If I had no hope or no awareness of the plan that God had for me to work through me, to minister to someone else, to share his story, the greatest story ever told, to share that with someone else. If I had no purpose for how he wanted me to build his kingdom or the plans that he had for my life to preach or to um, reach a teenager who needed help or to um, give money to someone in need, if I had no purpose or vision for my life for what God wanted me to do, then I might be one who is not living a Christ-centered life. So as you're sitting here today, no matter where you find yourself, someone who has never acknowledged God before, you've never said, Jesus, I want a relationship with you. I want you to be the center of my life or whether you've been in church for a long time, but you know that you're living a life that is not Christ-centered. I want to challenge you today to take a next step, whatever that is for you. I don't need to lead you in a prayer. I don't need to show you how to do it. You just need to have a conversation with God. Say, Jesus, I want you to be the center. So if you could close your eyes with me for one moment. And I don't want you to close your eyes and bow your heads because that's what preachers say at the end of their sermon. I'm asking you to close your eyes because I want there to be a moment right now that you have with God. Be honest with yourself. Do I communicate with God? Do I acknowledge Him in all of my ways? Do I have personal disciplines in my life that would lead me toward having a relationship with Jesus and having Him be the center of my life? Be honest with yourself. And then I want you to be honest with God. And so as we're preparing uh, the communion tables here this morning, we observe here at Zinyanaz each week what we call as communion, but really it's, it's remembering that Jesus, yes, he came here as a baby, but he, he came here to die for us. He came here not just so that we could come to church, not so that we could call ourselves a Christian, but as we observe communion this morning, 
I want this to be your response, your next step toward making Jesus the center of your life. As you observe communion, I would challenge you just to say, God, be my center. So for those of you who want to take that next step, the communion tables are open. And I ask you to come and observe the sacrifice that he made for us so that he could be the center of our lives.